I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. Not for the first time, and maybe not for the last, there's a battle going on at People's Park in Berkeley. The very name People's Park evokes the city's history of activism. It's been a home base for counterculture protests and movements of opposition since the 1960s. That's when a group of activists, Berkeley residents, and students took it upon themselves to turn an empty lot a few blocks from the UC campus into a public park. The university, which owns the land, had said it wanted to build student housing on the lot. In the generations since, it's become a haven for the unhoused population and an important destination for other community members. At the same time, the university is facing a housing crisis, just like so many other parts of the Bay Area. UC Berkeley houses just 23% of its students, which is the lowest percentage among UC campuses. And the university says that developing the land in People's Park would help solve the problem. Activists disagree, saying the need for student housing shouldn't be used to justify displacing people who are already struggling. But after years of debate, the UC Board of Regents finally achieved its goal last week. The Regents overwhelmingly approved a $312 million plan to build student housing in the historic park. But what does that contentious decision mean for the unhoused residents of People's Park and other community members who have convened there for generations? Here's the Chronicle's Karen Creighton reporting from Berkeley. People's Park is kind of just by its design saying it belongs to everyone, which is the original mission of the park. This is Aiden Hill, who's kind of an informal steward of the park. Every single thing that's here, every tree that's planted, every rose bush is dedicated to people who have fought for People's Park. And so it's this living history. It's the heart of Berkeley. Hill, who uses they, them pronouns, is a UC Berkeley student in the final year of their undergraduate studies. They live near the park and spend a lot of time there connecting with students, neighbors, and residents of the park. They also volunteer with the organization Food Not Bombs, which provides daily food service to the park. Food Not Bombs began in People's Park in the early 1990s. For some people, it's the difference between not eating for an entire day versus having a meal. That's all that matters at the end of the day is that we're helping people, we're a community, we eat together, we feed each other. But this community is under threat because UC Berkeley is facing a housing shortage for its students. The university says it had to turn away 5,000 students seeking housing this fall, and that the problem is so bad it needs to build on all eight UC-owned sites near campus, including People's Park. We currently have about 7,000 beds available in university-owned and operated residential facilities, and we want to double that to about 15,000. That's Dan Moguloff, the assistant vice chancellor at UC Berkeley. We believe that the plans for People's Park not only align with the founding ideals of the park, but represent a unique win-win-win-win for the community. In 2018, UC Berkeley announced that it intends to build student and low-income housing on People's Park to be completed by fall 2024. Under the proposal, more than half of the park would remain open. And on about half an acre of the land, UC would build a 148-unit building with a variety of amenities for both students and the public, including housing for about 1,100 students. Construction would begin next summer. But the park has historically been a place for unhoused residents to set up camp. Prior to the pandemic, UC Berkeley strictly enforced rules prohibiting camping in the park. 
but the university eased off once the shelter-in-place order took effect in 2020. More than 40 homeless people regularly visit the park and have been allowed to sleep there during the pandemic. Sherelle Jones is among them. She grew up in East Oakland and spent time at People's Park as a child. When I was a little girl, my daddy brought me to this park. And my dad used to play at the chess, it used to be like chess, dominoes, at the little table down there. And I grew up basically in this park. Jones has lived in People's Park for about five years. She moved back here after becoming homeless and spends her time mentoring younger folks who live in the park. I just came back because my dad made me promise to him to come back to this park and help his people. The park is also frequented by Berkeley residents like Roosevelt Stevens, who goes by Rosie. He teaches weekly art classes at People's Park. Nah, messing up that thumb. That's the hardest thing to draw is the thumb. I always says, if you can write your name, you can draw. The drawing class, anyone could come. The students, the homeless, but it's all about the community. Stevens visits the park every day, and he says it serves an important purpose. Park is important because this park is, is to help people who don't have nothing else to do, nowhere else to go. No one else is not going to help them. And this park here, it gives them the ability to help themselves. It really comes down to a fight to preserve open space. There's a rich community here, and the park is used by a number of different groups of people. Here's Aiden Hill from Food Not Bombs again. The idea that people deserve as a basic human right, green space, being able to craft their own agriculture, that's something new that People's Park really brings into Berkeley. It's showing people that you have the right to create a space that is your own. It shows you that community space can thrive, it can work together. Hill and other activists say that UC Berkeley's housing need shouldn't be solved at the expense of people who have utilized the park for generations. The university wants to make student housing uh, their other development is a supportive housing for unhoused people. The problem with those designs is that the people who are at the park won't be housed in the housing development. It displaces the community. But the community isn't without problems. Over the years, People's Park has been the site of homicides, robberies, rapes, and fires. Proponents of the plan say it'll create safer conditions and improve the quality of life in the surrounding neighborhood. More with Karen Creighton after a short break. We'll hear more about the deadly beginning of the battle for People's Park. People's Park has always had a contentious history. In 1969, the land became a battlefield after UC Berkeley cleared housing there to make way for dormitories. Activists fought the plan, and their protests were met with force. A county sheriff's deputy fatally shot a man, and then-Governor Ronald Reagan brought in the military to occupy the area. But the students ultimately succeeded in keeping development from the park. Many of today's activists see their struggle in similar terms. And this history is part of what they're fighting to save. One of our rationales is that you could look at Civil War battlefields where something took place over a few days. Harvey Smith is a member of the People's Park Historic District Advocacy Group. Well, People's Park, we had, in a sense, a battle here, but the park has gone on for over half a century. And there's just lots of history that relates to, to the park, things that happened here, and around the park. We're still going here, 
and, and we feel that it fully deserves that kind of recognition and certainly does not deserve to be destroyed. Smith's group is one of two that sued the Regents, UC Berkeley, and campus chancellor Carol Christ to try to stop the project. Um, you know, the university, you know, says, oh, well, we'll, we'll, you know, preserve the park. There'll be a little commemorative area. But, you know, it essentially is a big monolith paved over and, and manicured and not open really to the public uh, because there's a lot of public events that, that, that go on here all during the year and have for the, over the last 50 years. So having that huge building here does destroy the area. UC Berkeley says that it will take into account the needs of unhoused residents in its latest proposal. Here's Magula from the university again. When the pandemic passes, we will return to enforcing the laws that prohibit camping in the park. What's even more important is we think we can do better than providing a, a park for people to live in. The university plans to build a six-story building with 125 beds, with at least half or all going to the homeless, for what the university calls affordable and permanent supportive housing. The site, run by a nonprofit, would include supportive services. Construction for that space would begin in mid-2023. Ari Newlight works as a social worker employed by UC Berkeley. He works in the neighborhoods on the south side of campus, where People's Park is located. I'm glad that you're yeah. feeling better and you got some good things I going nobody. I know. I give people a smile. His position was created to help bridge the university to the unhoused population in the surrounding area. The outreach part of my job and like the support is really neighborhood focused. So I think the idea was to like have a position that's centered on the park, but you know, I kind of reach folks over towards like Willard and the Telegraph Corridor as well as like any non-students that are, you know, unhoused in the uh, like campus area. Newlight spends his time regularly giving residents clothing, sleeping bags, water, and other supplies, as well as building relationships with residents to connect them to other resources, like applying for unemployment benefits and helping them make appointments at the DMV. New Light has a unique position in the People's Park community, being employed by the university and working hands-on with the residents of the park. We're very familiar with the you know, challenging relationship between the university and, and, and kind of a certain segment um, from the park. And I think coming out here, I remember when I first started, I was kind of nervous, like, do I, do I say I'm with the university? But he says that understanding the complexity of the situation has helped him make successful inroads with the unhoused residents of the park. But I think what happened is, um, you know, I slowly started to just talk to people. I really, you know, appreciate and try to listen, um, you know, to everybody. I understand the complexity of this, and I'm going to use this opportunity to do the best I can for the people that are here while I'm here. New Light says listening will be key for the university as it moves forward with its plan, especially when it comes to targeting aid to those who need it. And then the question is, like, how are you able to target, you know, the people who are, who are, who are here? And I actually don't know the answer to that. So, you know, my hope would be that we're figuring out a way to do that. I know there's conversations to try to figure that out. Um, I think that said, it's also really complicated to say who's here. Because who's here now may be very different than who's here six months from now. What we do know is we're going to, you know, like 
I'm going to continue to try to, you know, support as many people as we can. You know, we New Light and others have connected about 80 people from in and around the park to housing. And UC has said they won't begin construction unless they can provide housing for the park's residents. Karen Creighton is a Chronicle producer, and she reported this episode for Fifth and Mission. Construction for the new student housing at People's Park is slated to begin in the summer of 2022, and supportive housing construction will start the following year in 2023. The latest Chronicle reporting suggests that opposition to the park could heat up now that the regents have officially approved the construction. In the meantime, the lawsuit against the regents is pending. For more on the approved housing plan in Berkeley's People's Park, you can find Karen's video story on the issue at sfchronicle.com or on the Chronicle app. Reporter Nanette Azimov also contributed to this episode, and you can find her reporting there too. Special thanks to King Kaufman for his help with this episode and to you for listening.